usually don't do these because uh, I like to wait for an episode to give my thoughts. Um, but I figured <laughs> they're fresh in my mind. So uh, this is a nerd at the solo table. Uh, <clears throat> uh, a nerd at the solo table special edition. I don't even think that's a name. This is me. But uh, I feel like I should give my immediate. These are like my immediate thoughts and reactions to uh, F9, uh, Fast and the Furious 9, because I saw it last night pretty uh, like at 11. Did a mid, did like a sort of pseudo midnight showing like I used to. Um, AMC is now fully open. You don't have to wear a mask. They're not distancing uh, your seat. So you can literally sit next to anybody. Um, and they're not uh, demanding masks or requiring masks, better said. So last night, Thursday, um, I was like, I need to go watch Fast and the Furious. Uh, I've been watching Fast and the Furious since Fast and the Furious 1, the Fast and the Furious back in 2001 uh, when I was in high school. And I've gone to see every single one in the theaters since then, um, whether it was opening weekend or a week after. Um, I was either going on weekends with my my family or with my cousins or I was like, I think once it was in high school, I started kind of going um after school if you think about it like the only ones that were in high the only ones that came out while i was in high school were the first one and too fast too furious um so those are the only ones and then like uh tokyo drift came out while i was in college oh six and then fast and furious i was already sort of living back in la as a full-on adult but the only ones that i actually like went um you know the only ones that i experienced while i was in high school were the first one and the the, the second one the first one was such a game changer for everyone. That was an L.A. movie. You know, this is the same year that we had Training Day come out. Yeah, so uh, Fast and the Furious was an L.A. movie. It was like, a, it had that grit of like post-90s, like beginning of the millennium L.A. feel. Because there was, you still had the grit from the 90s, but there was something changing in L.A. And this could have to do with, like, L.A. changed a lot after the Staples Center came in um, in the early 2000s. The late, not even early 2000s. It was, like, 98, 99 when the Staples Center came in. And L.A. changed, especially downtown. So that was, like, the beginning of the gentrification of downtown. So you were losing, at the time, you were losing this, like, gritty aspect to L.A., um, but there was pockets of it still, right? In East LA, Echo Park was still like gritty. Um, Silver Lake was just getting out of that, like was starting, like that gentrification was starting to sort of take hold. Echo Park still had, I think it was like four years away before Echo Park really became like gentrified. I want to say that started in like 04, 05. Um, but you had those like, aspects of the the you know central sort of borderline eastern part of LA that were still very much LA very gritty very you know it was the city you know there was still, it was still dangerous for people from the west side to go there you know aka white people <laughs> um, um that's why like Fast and the Furious 1 it's such a it's such a rarity that a character like Paul Walker's Brian is in that part of town um unless you were like you know, unless your family was like Irish or Italian that have been in East L.A. since like, 
you know, the fifties and the forties, like it, it was rare to see like a white bread person in that part of town. Um, or unless, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, unless you grew up around there and unless you, like, your family had been there since the fucking beginning, um, it was very rare. So yeah, that's, that was such a thing about, that's why he was such a fish out of water, um, in, in, in that movie. Um, that movie changed, that movie, there was something about seeing yourself. And I mean that as like kids of color, Asian kids, Filipino, like, um, Filipino kids, Chinese kids, Korean kids, um, Latino kids, you know, black, like biracial, like there was something about seeing us like kids of color on screen in such a cool mainstream movie. Um, that was such a game changer. Cause I mean, growing up in LA and like from, I mean, it was before that, but growing up in LA in like mid, mid nineties to like mid two thousands, there was this thing with, you know, car culture has always been a thing in Los Angeles, but like kids got really into it. I mean, if, you know, when I was in middle school, you know, looking at the latest lowrider magazine was a fucking thing. It was amazing. You would want to go to lowrider shows. My mom would never let me go to fucking lowrider shows um, because of how raunchy they would get. And, you know, there's always the danger of the cholos being there, which is true. I mean, that's the whole culture. But, you know, moms are going to mom. Right. So, I mean, but that was the thing. There was a fascination with that. And then, like, I got into high school, like kind of getting out of middle school and like import tuner was the shit. Like, that's what you were looking at. Those are the magazines. So then I started wanting to go to the, the import shows. And then again, my mom wouldn't let me go to the import show. So I would live vicariously through these magazines or I would live vicariously through the, you know, my friends who would go on a weekend cause their cousin took him to an import show. Um, and so like, that was like, those, that was the hot shit, you know, for kids my age around that time, you know, import tuner cars and magazines and that whole culture, lowrider shows and that whole culture. Like that was the thing that fascinated us as kids for kids who couldn't drive, at least me. Um, I couldn't drive. I was 14. I was 13, 14 around that time. Um, so seeing a movie like Fast and the Furious, a big mainstream movie that was going to, that was going to show this world that we were all obsessed with as kids. Um, in a big screen was incredible. Like that, that was like, Oh my God, it felt like a validation. And like I said, you know, like I was saying, it's like the cast was just like, Oh, like you, you could see all the kids or the people that I, that, you know, that you know of, or somebody's cousin was in the movie. Like you started to see, you know, we were being reflected back on this movie and it didn't focus on just one particular ethnicity or race or anything, but it was like that tapestry of LA where like, Oh, it's, just, it's like, uh, like a darker shade of beige to brown to black. That's like the tapestry, at least of the LA that I grew up with. Right. I didn't grow up on the West side. I didn't grow up in Santa Monica. Um, you know, a, the majority of my friends were Latino, black, Asian. Um, you know what I mean? The, the white friends were always the white friends that you would meet over the summer. If you went to, you know, if you went to camp out, you know, into the West side, at least somebody who grew up on the central part of LA, like I did, you know, that's my, that, that's my experience. That's my sort of like, you know, what I grew up with. Um, so yeah, so th- this movie was showing us the tapestry of LA and showing us reflecting that back to us. So when that movie came out, it was it was incredible. Like it was, there, there was something that it elicited 
and everybody. Uh, and there was something, and this is, I'm going to get into this about like what I feel, um, fast nine was missing. And, and I want to say that what fast nine was missing is the, and, and not just fast nine, but I got the same feeling from fast eight. So these are the post Paul Walker movies, fast eight, um, Hobbs and Shaw, which I don't really, I don't want to say I don't count it, but I didn't watch it because I it just didn't feel like I tried watching it. I fell asleep halfway through it, which is a, so such a strange thing to say. But the main franchise, Fast Nine, Fast Eight, and Fast Nine, there was something missing, and I think I got it yesterday. I understood it yesterday as I was in the theater. Um, it what was missing was the feeling of wanting to peel out of the movie theater parking lot in your '91 Maxima. There was something that Fast One did. Fast One. Yeah, like I'm going off a fast one, but fast one that it made the person with the most janky bucket of a car feel like they could fucking race a fucking import out of the parking lot. And yeah, people were reckless around that time. But, you know, talking to friends, you know, after the fact who grew up in other parts of the the, the country, um, uh, that that was the thing everybody wanted a race everyone felt like it felt it felt attainable if that makes any sense it felt attainable um to be part of that crew be part of fast and the furious um especially because a lot of the the, the crew that you saw in the film looked like everybody there was somebody you can pick out of that like oh i can be that person and so it, everything felt attainable about fast one Fast 2 came out. I was in high school as well. Um, set in Miami. It got a little bit more elaborate, but yet it still felt attainable. It was like the stakes got bigger and uh, the stakes got bigger and the story got bigger. They expanded out of LA. Paul Walker was back. A new crew was back. Dom wasn't in there. So you're like, all right, let's, you know, this is, this is new, right? But Paul Walker, Paul Walker was the heart, right? And he was the one like, all right, Paul Walker's there. You know, you're, I'm there for it, right? He's, he's, he's the guy, he's our guy. Um, you know, it still, it all felt like, all right, cool. It's all about racing. Uh, Tokyo Drift came out completely changed, right? It, 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 I was in college at the time and Tokyo Drift really just, you know, it was like, okay, this is interesting. Like there was something about it that felt like an, a live action anime. And I guess it's the whole outsider thing, right? You have, um, the Lucas Black character who, you know, gets, gets kicked out of school, comes there, become, you know, the guy gene, the outsider, like there was something about it, but it was still cool. still fast and the furious. It was just fast and the furious in another part of the world drifting. You know, it was like a whole aspect, another aspect of car culture drifting, something that, I mean, I didn't know about drifting. I didn't know what that name was even back then in 06 when it came out, but like Getting out of that movie, you were like, fuck it. I'm going to Tokyo Drift. I want to drift. No matter if you had a fucking, like, you know, a fucking minivan, you were like, I'm going to drift. You felt like you wanted to drift. And that was the feeling it elicited, right? You know, so that ended. You, things got bigger. The world got bigger. Characters got bigger. There was a cameo with Vin Diesel at the end. They are like, all right, it's still in the world. You know, it gave us Han. It gave, You know, and so it's like, all right, we're all part of this, you know? <clears throat> Paul Walker was in nowhere to be seen. Then we get back into Fast and Furious, which is the fourth one. I feel like that's the shift. Fast and Furious was the sort of, it was definitely the midpoint of this because it let us know, you know, it felt like we were going back to basics. You know, it felt like, all right, we're back in LA. 
we're back in, you know, but that's when like the hybrid of like a special mission, you know, with like government agencies overwatching, like that's when that shift happened and stuff, you know, and Fast and Furious felt like the reset and the midpoint. And I was like, all right, this is where we're going to go now. This felt like the, it was about to launch into something different. Fast Five, and The Rock comes in. That's probably the second best of the entire of the entire franchise because it's a heist film, which I fucking love heist films. It still keeps the car culture aspect of it with what they're driving, with what they're doing, the skills that they're bringing to the the storyline, the skills that they bring, like the reason why these characters are brought in and why they're asked to do these things. They're all car. They're all skills with the car. They can drift, they can drive, they know how to drive. Like even there's a really cool scene I'm remembering from Fast Five. This is top of my head where they're, they're practicing how to miss the cameras and they're drifting. Like the reason, like the, the, that's the whole, that's the way they're going to, they're going to avoid these cameras is by drifting and using their skills. So like you still had these aspects of the, of why these characters are even in these kind of elaborate and fantastical situations, Right. And The Rock came in, added a whole new element, made it bigger and more blockbuster. That's Fast Five. And again, you're still seeing yourself in the in, in this. And I think that's the thing that's the perfect throw line of this whole franchise is that, you know, it's the most like, it's I think it's one of the most racially diverse big budget franchises in that film. Because it's like everybody's in there either biracial or black or, you know, Latino, you know, and like, yeah, and, you know, so it, there, it's, it, that's the thing that keeps this, it makes it unique, I guess. It's one of the aspects that makes it unique. It's a big blockbuster film. That's one of the most like, like, you know, racially diverse ones, right? Anyway, so Fast Five is in, makes it bigger. Heist film, amazing. Fast Six. Fast Six was, I, I'm going to be honest, Fast Six, I didn't see that one in theaters. I actually waited to see that. And that, that really brought it more international. You know, it took us to England, introduced us to the Shaw brother, you know, to, to Shaw and made it more, I'm like, all right, there's bigger supervillains in this world. And that starts to kind of take it out of the street racing thing. There's still, there's still racing aspects to it, which was great. It still kept those racing aspects to it, but you know, it made it bigger, made it more international. Fast seven. I feel like fast seven. When Fast 7 came out, obviously that was the last one Paul Walker was in. He died halfway through making this movie. Um, so I, I wouldn't be able to, none of us will know what it could have been if he wouldn't have died. If he would have finished production, I'm curious how different the movie would have been. But it obviously ends on the, the, the see you again ending where like they do that race and he drifts off and it becomes really sad and it becomes, you know, it takes you out. Like it's one of those times where like reality gets reality and the, the film world gets blurred and as an audience member watching that on opening day, it's a fucking tearjerker. Um, but I feel like that's, that's when that shift happens. Cause when fast eight came out, things became more international super spy and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, that's when I realized the Paul Walker, the Paul Walker aspect of that whole, of this whole franchise was, was keep was what kept it, in this sort of like street racer, like fish out of water thing, because in that he was, he was the, the, 
he was a protagonist of the first one and his whole thing was that he was a fish out of water and he was adapting. And that's the whole thing about this crew is that they adapt and they get put in these crazy situations, but they use their skills as, you know, <laughs> they use, they use their skills from the streets. You know, they use the street smarts, uh, to, you know, overcome these obstacles. So they're, you know, you get these, like, you know, you got these kids from LA, uh, who are put into these scenarios with big international super spies and government and they come out of it. You know, you think about it, Dom is a kid from LA and who has, who can, who's almost invincible. Right. And that's the thing about fast eight and fast nine that I feel like we lost, we lost, we lost that. Not saying that I don't enjoy the films, but like while watching fast nine, I felt like, I was missing that. I, f- I missed that whole, like, seeing myself in these characters. Like, they got to the point where, like, we're very self-aware now. Like, this, th- in this film, they were very self-aware of what's happening, almost to the point, and obviously I'm not really going to be spoiling too much, but um, what I'm saying is that, like, it got to the point where it got very meta. It got very meta. And to the point where Tyrese's character starts going like, are we, almost to the point where he would almost say, are we in a movie? But he doesn't say it. But Charlize Theron's character, who's back, by the way, she says, if this was a movie, this is when the villain has a setback. Like she acknowledges within the film that they're in a film. And I know she's speaking to one of the the villains of the, the film, but it's just so like... <laughs> it made me take pause at the film a little bit. Like no matter how ridiculous it's been up to this point, it really walked that fine line where we're not going to jump the shark just yet. And I really feel that they've jumped the shark, not in this one. I feel like they really jumped the shark in fast eight with the submarine situation with the missile and all that. That was the moment when I remember watching it. It was very exciting that I remember watching and going like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, And even in this film, like there's moments where like Vin Diesel is like Bane breaking people's backs. Like this guy just little fights 20 armed guards in literally the same set. And I'm, and I noticed that it's the, it's the same set where Batman fights Bane in the dark Knight rises so much so that I'm like, Oh yeah, this looks like the Bane fight that they even shoot it that way. It's even lit the same way. And like he breaks a guy's back and I'm like, when I, when I even thought about it, I was like, oh, this looks like a Bane fight. He breaks a guy's back. So there was just something about, like, there was something about that where it was just like, it got to the point where I think it, it jumped the shark. Um, and the characters don't seem as out of their element as they've always been. They're just kind of like doing shit and they seem like, all right, we're going to go do this. And they've always been confident about their skills, but it was always like, how are we going to get out of this? And this one just always felt like this is what we're going to do. Like they, they, you know what I mean? It didn't, there was no doubt that they were going to get out of this shit. And I feel like in all the movies before that, there is that questioning of like the stakes feel, the stakes feel crazy high and the characters themselves know that. And this one, I didn't get that. I didn't get the feeling that, oh, the stakes are high. And so that was that, that was something about the stakes. And I can't really get into that. Um, too much, but that, that's kind of what, what I can get off the top of my head. The other aspect, and there's a, this is an aspect I did like about the film. They finally give us the backstory of Dom's father 
and when his father died. Because that's one of the big stories. It's one of the big uh, backstories that he talks about in Fast and Furious 1 when he says that his dog, was, his dad was a stock car racer. Some guy clipped him. Uh, he crashed and Dom was trying to run towards the car, but he was like screaming his head off. And then he knocks and hits the guy with like a wrench and like, you know, fucks him up. Right. We finally see that. Um, we set it in 1989, uh, California. And we see like the guy who actually the young guy, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they actually cast a young actor for both John Cena who plays Dom's brother. And also like, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad they cast uh, two young actors for that. Because it would have been weird if they would have tried to de-age Vin Diesel, which would have been fucking hilarious. But the the guy, the kid who played, it doesn't look exactly like Vin Diesel, but he definitely has the presence, um, the presence and the voice and stuff like that of a young Vin Diesel. So I, I I roll with it. It was good, and so I do like those aspects. They really kind of did this whole. They showed the backstory, and as the movies going along, movies going, we have this thorough line of jumping back and forth between time. Um showing the nineties, early nineties. So that actually got me excited because we saw a early nineties version of fast and the furious. Cause we see like they show up to the race area, they race on the fourth street bridge. So a part of me, the filmmaker, the creative really wants to see a pre 1996, uh, LA, um, Fast and the Furious set in pre-1986 LA because for those that didn't grow up in LA or weren't alive before, uh, you know, 99, LA changed a lot post riots and post earthquake, the post the Northridge earthquake. 1996 is when things started really shifting, um, into the LA that we kind of, kind of what I was saying earlier, that there was something about the grit of LA that we were starting to lose and it was starting to sort of kind of get gentrified a little bit more before that 1984, 1982 LA, there was a something that about LA that we won't see ever again. <clears throat> so to see a fast and the furious set in that pre 1996 would be incredible. I would love to see that. It'd be really hard. I, I, you know, I mean, they could CGI some shit, but like um, a lot of the locations that they would be at are going to be hard to really recreate. They would have to like CGI that or kind of do that in a, you know, probably do it in the volume. I don't know. Just, just spitballing shit. Right. But I would love to see a, a prequel film or even a series, um, a fast and the furious set in pre 1996 LA. So that was cool. I like that. You know, especially with the cars and the music, like, oh, it was great. I, I, I want to see more of that. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that aspect of this film. Um, <clears throat> though, so so back to like the film. So back to the film. So um, it was a two, two and a half hour movie. I'm not going to try to get into every aspect of it, but yeah. So one of the things I just didn't like that I didn't feel that the stakes, the stakes didn't feel high. And I, and the explanation for why John Cena's character wanted what he, what he wanted didn't make any sense. Like, did he just want family you know like or did he like it just i couldn't understand i might need to rewatch it but i kind of don't even care um the villain they brought back was Charlize theron's character cypher which i loved in the first one um i mean sorry not in the first she's not even in the first sorry in f in uh fast eight I, I i thought she was great she's she's fantastic and everything so um she's great but i just never i don't know what her motivations are 
even from Fast 8, like, what does she want? At first, I thought she just wanted Dom in the in Fast 8. But now she mentions in Fast 9 that, oh, I should have just gone after her brother instead of Dom. But I still don't know what she wants, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't understand what her motivation is. Um, if She's still alive, obviously, at the end of this one. So I'm wondering if she's going to be the big bad that's going to explain everything. You know, and I've, I've tweeted about this before. <laughs> I hope that my hope is that Johnny Tran is the final big boss of uh, Johnny Tran is is um, the guy who they think is the big bad guy uh, who Paul Walker in the first one thinks he's the he's the one that's stealing the, the trucks um, and he gets sent to jail or whatever. I don't know. They, they disrespect him and his family. So my hope is that Johnny Tran in all these years has been plotting revenge and he becomes the big bad. And he's like, he's actually the one who's hired everybody who's come after them. So that's my hope. Right. Um, so there are elements that I love about this new like era of it. Right. Like one of my favorite additions has been Helen Mirren added as, um, the, I forget her name. Um, but she's Shaw's mother. She's the mother of the Shaw brothers. She's great. And honestly, Vin Diesel acts so much better next to her. Like there was an aspect there. Like he's takes, he takes these films so fucking seriously that it almost becomes cringy uh, when he's by himself, but put him opposite Helen Mirren. And he was like really acting like there was something different about his acting. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm like more Helen Mirren, please give us more Helen Mirren, have Dom interact more with Helen Mirren. Um, because there's something he brings out like something good out of his acting. So I, I really enjoyed that. Her ass, her character, amazing. And if they ever did a spinoff of the Shaw family as being like a group of, you know, a family of thieves, give me that, you know, bring back the heist element. And that's another thing. The heist element. I miss it. They're like, I, they really need to bring back the heist, um, the heist element of these films. And that was surely missed of this one. But, um, I don't, I don't know what else to add. It's like I said, it's a long movie. Um, I'm excited for, fa- uh, for fast 10. Um, the, Oh, the Han aspect. Oh, now, now I'm remembering. So Han coming back, they didn't give us much explanation. They just explained like, Oh, Kurt Russell's character, Mr. Nobody faked his death and that was it like there was nothing else behind it and even the reunion because the characters from tokyo drift are back so uh lucas black character bow wow and i forget this guy's name he's he's in warrior but the other guy the guy who's like more of like a tinkerer um those three guys um let me just i gotta check his name they're back um and i wish that reunion because we don't get that reunion with the tokyo drift crew until possibly the end. So like they don't see Han until the very end. Um, and I wish they would have like, they would have given us more time with that. Cause that gave me chills when seeing them all hug Han and be all happy with him. I was like, Oh man, like I forgot, like these guys were so tight, um, in Tokyo drift and they were so devastated when he died. And, you know, he's been faking his death this entire time. Oh, that's Jason Tobin. So yeah, Jason Tobin, Lucas black and bow wow. Um, uh, we're in this. Um, but yeah, they don't give much explanation. They just, just, they just explain that Han's been hiding, protecting this one, uh, girl who is like the key to this thing that they're getting, which is the MacGuffin of this movie, right? Is this like two pieces of a thing, you know, 
it, it just still makes no sense. Like, so it controls all the weapons. I can't, I'm not going to get into it because it makes no sense. There's makes no sense. I don't understand the motivation behind it. Um, and yeah, it, it fast nine, it had good elements in there and good things that we continued on. Um, but it's just, it doesn't elicit the same feelings that I had before. I don't feel like any of that is attainable. I don't feel like I would find myself in a situation like that, um, ever again, like the other films did that they actually make you feel like, Oh, maybe I could stumble onto being part of this crew as part of the, you know, helping this crew. So now I don't feel any connection there anymore. Um, I'm with the franchise to the very end, um, to the end of the road. So if fast 10 is the last one, I'm there for it, you know, but I really hope that they bring us like, I don't know, they got, somebody's got to bring it home. Cause that was the thing about like movies, like long standing franchises, like, um, at the, the very last movie needs to bring it home really well. Star Wars is amazing. The, the main Star Wars movies, but though <laughs> Rise of Skywalker, <clears throat> Rise of Skywalker, terrible ending, terrible ending. And the thing about, uh, and that's another thing with like the same way I feel about Fast 9, I feel about Rise of Skywalker. There were some amazing elements in those, in those films. They were just not put together properly to bring it home really well. Um, and so like, I hope whoever directs Fast 10, I think it's, um, I think it's going to be the same director. Um, they need to bring it home or they got to bring back the same writer who's writing all the really good ones. So from, I forgot the name of the writer, but they need to bring him back because they need to really end that movie and end that franchise on an incredible high note. That's going to allow us to like watch all these films to the very end and go like, all right, this had a good conclusion because I know there's going to be spinoffs for this. There's de- they're definitely going to try to make a prequel. They're definitely going to expand to the Shaw family. They're, de- they're going to make spinoffs. So this, this universe is not ending with the last fast and the furious, at least the main core of the films, but they, they need to knock it out of the park. They really do because these post Paul Walker films, um, have been, it's yeah, they, they've been lacking. Um, and yeah, we, we do get a, a tip. We do get a little hint to Brian's character. Who's in that universe. He's alive. You know, unfortunately he's Paul Walker's not with us anymore, but in that universe, he's still with us. So they did give us a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a hint and a little bump to, to him and a little tribute. So that was nice. That was a nice way to kind of go off, you know, end it. Um, but yeah, those those are my thoughts. I mean, I, I can't really give too much. It's just me um, giving my thoughts. I felt like I really need to needed to say something. I needed to kind of give the, do this like a little special uh, first reaction sort of episode because um, I had a lot to say, and I feel like it's hard to cover um, when we're all t- sort of talking together and trying to like get through certain things. But I felt like I really needed to expand on on this um, while while these thoughts are fresh in my head. Um, but yeah, um, once again, this is like uh, my first initial thoughts, my thoughts on Fast 9. Um, you know where to find us, Cool Table Podcast, at Cool Table Pod. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, you know where to find us. Keep listening to us uh, and we have uh, more content, um, you know, coming. <laughs>